it's legitimately like outside of Jesus and my family and my ministry work, like this is the thing I would rather be doing than anything else is watching and engaging with sports. And, and for me, it's about, I love it for the sports itself, but I also love it because of the community aspect. Welcome everybody into the Run the Race podcast. We appreciate you joining us. This episode is going to come out either the last day of February or the first day of March. And you know what that means in terms of the sports world. It is March Madness. We are very excited about that. You know, it's kind of cool because it brings out fans from all walks of life. If you know nothing about basketball or any sports, you know what March Madness is. And you know uh, that it's uh, one of the biggest sporting events in the entire country or world. And there's so much parody in college basketball. And we have an expert who's a podcaster and talks about basketball pretty much every single day of his life. And um, and so Isaac Shade, and he's 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 a podcast host. I listen to his show um, pretty much every other day. He's the host of Locked On Tar Heels. And you may have heard me on this podcast over the last several years. I'm a huge North Carolina Tar Heels fan. I grew up there, been a fan since I was essentially born um, and Isaac also hosts the college, uh, the Locked On College Basketball Daily podcast. Uh, he lives right now in Webb City, Missouri, which is the opposite side of the state than St. Louis is. He's in ministry as a full-time job, but he spends his free time with his wife, who's also in ministry, Maggie, and their two kids, ages four and eight. And when he when he has in his spare time, he hosts these two podcasts. So uh, he's, he's very, very busy. Uh, just to give you some quick background on Isaac, he was born in uh, Selston, England, where his parents were missionaries. They grew up uh, just down the road from where I am in Columbus, right. Georgia, right. in Stockbridge, Georgia, on the south side of Atlanta, played baseball there in high school and uh, wasn't, I guess, good enough to be a pro baseball player. We'll talk a little bit about that. Wanted to maybe play for the Braves. But he uh, instead of doing that, he became a worship minister for about six years after seminary. And then uh, since then, uh, for the last eight years, he's been working at Ozark Christian College, OCC, in Joplin, Missouri, for the last eight years as a chapel minister, worship arts professor, and this is his third year of doing those podcasts, the Locked On. And before that, he wrote for Sports Illustrated's UNC site. So once again, we talked about him growing up in Atlanta, very passionate about baseball, basketball, music, ministry. And so, uh, Isaac, thank you so much uh, for being here with us today. Jason, thanks for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be back in the Peach State. I, I miss, People here think we're in the South, and I'm like, come on, man, what are we doing? That's right. They, they, I don't think they do sweet tea probably correctly in Missouri, right? Well, thankfully there is Chick Fil A right down the road, so I can I can get it real good there. But some get this: some places I ask for tea, and they ask me if I want it sweet or unsweet. There is no question. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and I'm I'm glad you could join us because we we were going to try to do this about a week ago, and you lost your voice. You had. Um, some kind of cold or, or flu or something, and I'm glad you're sounding and feeling better now. And and uh, the, you you had a chance uh, earlier this week to go to the uh, Dean Smith Center, the Dean Dome, to take in uh, in person a college basketball. So we're going to talk about the atmosphere there, March Madness, uh, court storming, a big issue right now right. when it comes to sports. Uh, we're also going to talk about how you went from wanting to be a pro baseball player to going into uh, writing about sports, and also your passion for ministry, music, balancing all that this stuff that you're doing right now. But I wanted to start off with um, March Madness. You know, it makes me think of, and I'm, I'm old school. I'm from North Carolina. I grew up near Asheville. And um, 
you know, the, uh, you know, the Tar Heels have been great for a long time, many decades. And you hear the songs like, you know, one shining moment, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, we, we down here, we've got SEC football, we've got your Braves, we've got the NFL is huge. But for me, March Madness still is top of the list. Why do you, you know, as somebody who talks about college basketball on a pretty much everyday basis uh, as part of your job, what do you think it is about the college basketball and fans coming in and, and just the parody of it, the, the love these guys have for the game that, that brings folks to watch it. I think Jason, it's quite specifically several of those last things you said. I think people are always here for the upsets. I think that that's what really specifically with March madness, as you talked about is people want to see Virginia losing to UMBC. People want to see last year, Purdue losing to fairly Dickinson outside of, you know, Boilermakers and Cavaliers fans, obviously they hate that, but um, I, I think people just love the spectacle of it. People love the, you know, we, you mentioned uh, baseball in baseball. We have our series in NBA. We have our series. The beauty of March is it's, you got 40 minutes and if you're not ready to go, buddy, you're done and your season's over. And so I think it's that, that one and done nature of it. Um, but it is so much, because you know you think about the NBA and it it's much more the names on the back it's the the you know James and Jordan and O'Neal and all these last names but in college basketball because it's just the changing personnel year after year after year it really is about the names on the front and i think that allows fan bases to really coalesce around this idea of a university and, and a team and a program and a coach and you know and on the other side of the coin there and one team can get hot they can hit 15 23 pointers and it can be this team that has nobody that's over six seven or something like that <laughs> and so what do you think it is about maybe this particular season why there's so much parity i know we have the transfer portal but why do you think it is that these top 10 teams just can't seem to like um you know uh, stay there well, part of the funny thing of that conversation, Jenna, Jason, is it is the transfer portal combined with NIL combined with we still are in an era of COVID eligibility because um, the the class that are seniors right now is the last class that can take advantage of an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. So they could this year's seniors actually could come back next year, but you get that mixed with players being able to go around to different schools in the country. Uh, you know, without without reprisal of having to sit on the bench with the the financial side of NIL coming into play. And all of that is spreading around the wealth and talent in college basketball, because what would I rather do? Would I rather go sit on Kentucky's bench as the 11th man and maybe play in a blowout? Or would I rather go play maybe at a slightly you know, less known school or a slightly less prestigious school basketball wise, but actually get to play the game that I love and make, take, uh, you know, make a splash and, and be somebody that's doing something on the court. And so I think we're starting to see that parody grow even more at this point. And then the other thing that goes with that is we start looking specifically, as you said, at these top 10 matchups on the road at unranked opponents and losing a lot of times, even though it's the ranked team that, you know, it's like, oh, they're ranked and they're not, they should win. There is a massive home court advantage in college basketball right now, all the more so. And if you look at like the, the betting lines, it's actually these unranked home teams that are quite often the favorites. And, you know, speaking of that home court advantage, um, 
this past weekend, we had an incident at Wake Forest um, in Winston-Salem, just down the road from, I went to school at Elon College, now Elon University, just down the road from Winston-Salem, and um, where um, Wake Forest upset Duke. Wake's, Wake's a good team. They're on the bubble, essentially, still kind of are, um, and they beat Big Bad Duke. Um, um, at Wake Forest, and then there's court storming. Like immediately after, you're beating Duke, and you know it's a team that that you're going to probably court storm. Unfortunately for them, and maybe about ten other teams. So, what do you think about that? Because Kyle Filipowski gets hurt, uh, has a knee injury. I think he's okay, and maybe going to play in tonight's game. So, um, not a not a you know season ending injury, but you know the you know hundred or hundreds of fans storm the court. And they kind of um, barrel into him a little bit, and he gets pulled off the court quickly. But do you think that uh, some people are saying now, "Oh, it needs to be banned"? But these are the same people that celebrated it, maybe, and you know, before that. But now you have a Duke player that's involved with it. So, um, how do you think? Do you think the rules need to change, or do we need to take extreme actions here? And we also had, I'll mention Caitlin Clark, who is the women's national player of the year, also got, uh, she plays for Iowa. They got court stormed and she got bumped around a little bit as well. So it's kind of been on, on both men's and women's this year. The The thing for me, Jason, is that asking the question, should we ban court storms is the wrong question to ask. For me, the question to ask is how could we more capably regulate court storms? Because to me, court storms are part of the special sauce of what makes college basketball incredible. Because what, tell me the last time you saw an NBA fan base go storm the court because they knocked off the Lakers. You know, like it just it doesn't happen. And or or an NFL team, you know, like the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and here comes everyone down. You know, like it just it's so unique and special to what we have in college. Um, that, that I don't think we want to lose that. It's part of the DNA of what college basketball and, and to a lesser extent, college football is. And so I would like to have conversations about how could we do this in a better way that protects players and by the way, protects referees and protects coaches, because I want these students to have this moment. It's part of the experience of it. But what if, I don't know, you know, like we were able to just say, all right, here's the deal. We're going to let these guys get off the court. We're going to start a, a 10 second countdown. When that bad boy hits zero, bring it on. Let's go bananas. Let's have a big old time. Or um, re- I think it was at Texas A&M recently. There was a game or maybe Texas A&M was on the road and they just pulled out a rope and it was a rope that kind of created a tunnel between that rope and the scorers table to where the, the players and coaches could still funnel through and have the handshake line and all that. And then the the students could still storm the other side of the court and do that. And so it's about finding things like that to allow it to still happen while protecting people. You know, people have said like, oh, well, Kyle Filipowski was pushing and shoving. And it's like, you tell me what you're going to do with a thousand crazy college students in tie-dyed t-shirts running at you. It's like, you're going to try to get out of the way. And if, you know, like, so I don't, I don't want to hear that. Um, but also another thing that can happen is sometimes if it's a blowout, a coach will be allowed to just go ahead and like take his kids off the court and let the, the winning team inbound. But in this scenario, Duke was only down four. There were two seconds or so left on the clock. If somehow Duke inbounds it, let's say Jared McCain shoots a three, hits it and is fouled. He could tie the game and send it to overtime. So they got to finish it out. Coach Shire can't pull his guys off the court. And so that, that was just kind of a unique situation. But for me, it's not about banning. It's about regulating. 
Yeah, I think I agree with you as well. And, you know, and these these are college kids. These are 18 to 22 year olds. They're excited. Are you going to be able to really control them? People that are, you know, that age are, are maybe not going to always make the wisest decisions. They're going to run on the court and they're going to be excited. And they're not, you know, they're not worried about like running into somebody or something. And, you know, you can't like set the rules where you're going to expel them or you're going to arrest them or something like that. I mean, that's just going to the extreme and banning it is probably to the extreme. But I know that's the knee jerk reaction when you see this happen. And I agree with you about Filipowski. I mean, he's just trying to defend himself and trying to make sure he doesn't get hurt and maybe in the process tweaked his knee or his ankle a little bit so i think that there needs to be like you said allowing that team to the opposing team to get off the floor if the winning home team wants to stay at center court and be a part of the celebration let them let them do it um but there needs to be a because you know sometimes we'll make announcements over the pa they won't listen to it you know the students will do whatever they want to do so you know um but but yeah we'll 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 see what happens but i want to talk a little bit later about your Dean Dome experience and uh, your love for basketball. But I want to kind of dive into a little bit about your background, Isaac. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know you told me that you were a huge Braves fan. Um, I've been a Braves fan since growing up. My heroes growing up, I'll give you some, uh, you know, sense of my sports, um, you know, uh, favorites growing up who I idolized. Dan Marino from the Miami Dolphins. Number one was always Michael Jordan from the Tar Heels and Bulls. And then also um, Dale Murphy from the Atlanta Braves. The lovable losers, last place, but uh, but we loved them. And you wanted to be a pro baseball player. So how did you go from that um i guess i guess you weren't good enough to to writing about sports <laughs> yeah that that's honestly kind of kind of why i got to writing about sports but no so i i grew up a left-handed pitcher and so tom glavin was my guy like i lived on the outside corner trying to bite off the edge a little bit like tom glavin always did but that that was my era was i i kind of fell in love with the braves in 91 was like the first season uh, where I really, even, you know, on the front half of that season where things were still really bad before that epic comeback. But so it was, you know, the, the Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox, Chipper Jones era was, was kind of my era. And yeah, I'm, I'm 5'11". I'm not massive. I'm not super fast. I never, you know, I was more of a Maddox type pitcher. I couldn't blow you away with my fastball, smart on the base paths and stuff like that. But I was just, like I, I went um, to an NAIA school on a baseball scholarship, but I just, I was not good enough or athletic enough to do it at the D1 level. And that was just the reality of my life. Um, but I've always said that using the baseball ability I did have was God's way of getting me to the college he wanted me to get to, where I could both play baseball and get a good ministry degree. Those were both parts of of my um, kind of calculus of where I wanted to go to school. And so the funny thing is, I actually ended up um, stopping playing on the baseball team after like uh, halfway through my freshman year and s- started playing on the tennis team for the rest of my college career. And that was just a way to stay athletic and, and uh, involved in that, but um, really got into my ministry and serving and, and finding ways to get involved with that. And eventually I got to the point, um, this, this was after seminary and once I was already in to my full-time ministry life where, you know, a lot of people are like, I need an escape from life. So they turned to music. The funny thing for me is I was already doing music. So I needed an escape from that. And so I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd love to try my hand at writing. I've always wanted to see what that would be like. I should, I don't really want to write a novel. I'd love to write about something I love. Let me start a blog writing about North Carolina basketball. And so that's what I did. 
And I just kind of the pieces fell into place from there as I, I did it more and more and was able to get on, as you mentioned earlier, writing for um, Sports Illustrated's North Carolina site, which is now, um, you know, part of their fan nation network. And and then it just uh, the the locked on stuff kind of grew out of that. And so it's it's just been kind of a, a side hobby escape from life that's turned into a, a kind of a second job, really. Yeah. So, so I guess maybe it was a blessing in disguise that you couldn't run a four, four in the 40 or couldn't throw 90 miles per hour, or couldn't hit 50 home runs. I mean, that was, that was, that was what little Isaac shade wanted to do. Uh, I want right. to hit all these home runs. I want to throw hard, but maybe God was like, okay, I have another plan for your life. That's right. That's absolutely right. And it it's incredible how even through the sports media stuff that I do, God is able to use that to allow me to to connect with people and and be a witness and and a light and just shine Jesus even in doing those things. Yeah, and, and tell me, I, mean, I wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit as well. Your passion for music, your passion for faith, and how that all kind of melds together, and and you you on you get to write about sports. So you kind of live in the dream in a a few different kinds of ways. Um, and uh, so, uh, what, how did you? Did the writing maybe come before or after you you became a worship minister for about six years, right? Yes, yes, sir. So the the music came before that. I had always loved music, but just because of athletic stuff, I never really took lessons or got into it. And then I got a guitar for my 18th birthday, right when I was a senior in high school, and just really dove into that. At, at that point, I was thinking about ministry stuff and thinking I wanted to go into maybe youth ministry. And um, God, during my freshman year of college, just started growing the musical side of things more and more. And I, I started um, learning more about guitar and taking voice lessons and piano lessons. And I just realized this is how I best connect with God at at a level that, you know, I, I never really have before. And I would love to share that with others who might find their same connection with God at a deeper level through and because of music. So let me just dive into this and figure out how to be a pastor through music, basically. And so God just, as you were saying, God just really utilized that and allow it to grow, put people in my life who um, spoke wisdom into me, came alongside of me, and and instead of big-timing me because they were already musicians or, or doing stuff, they said, no, like, come on, come come be with us. And I think that was just part of the beauty of of the community of faith, doing what the community of faith does. Was it something, was there kind of a, a, like you had a dream of being, you know, maybe playing for the Braves or something? Was there like a thought like, okay, I want to keep working. I want to work for a bigger church or I want to go be like a Michael W. Smith or something like that. <laughs> was there any kind of a, a thought of like, okay, going like putting out albums, things like that? Yeah. Yep. So my my best friend, Brad Barmore is his name. And uh, we started a band together and and another good friend of ours, Tim Rufinacht was our... Uh, um part of it as well. And then we were kind of like spinal tap where we had like a revolving bass player, uh, which was kind of funny. But so we, we actually did make a go for it, go of it as a band for a while. It was unfortunately titled the Isaac shade band, which I hated. Um, but, uh, we did, uh, put out an album and, uh, led worship kind of around the country at various events. But it was one of those things, Jason, where God just started calling us to different and new phases of life. And, and we probably could have worked at making a go of it as a band, but we just realized there were things that we each cared about more than touring the country. We'd rather be with our spouses and be with the the people we love, um, like in a located way where we could just really form 
th- that level of Christian community that we couldn't do if we were out on the road all the time. Yeah. And, you know, now using your speaking voice as a professor and as a, a podcast host, maybe you should like come up with a write a song and sing a song as like the slogan for like locked on or something like yes. that. Right. Uh, what's funny is after Leaky Black's senior year at North Carolina, I actually wrote a song that I sung on the podcast called Please Come Back Leaky Black and was just taught like the verses were all these people that. Uh, for those who don't know, Leaky Black uh, finished in North Carolina last year and was a great defensive player, just like an individual lockdown defender. And so I just like in the verses kind of wrapped through all these various uh, players from other schools that he had locked down that past year. And then sure enough, he did come back. And so it was clearly uh, completely because of my song. <laughs> I, I think he, uh, I think he heard the Isaac Shade, uh, you know, version of that song, and maybe that 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 encouraged him. And and you were telling me as well off mic that you and your wife, I mean, your wife's also in ministry. So tell me about that dynamic, about you guys both being maybe in different kinds of ministry and and how that works, and maybe uh, you guys talking about it with each other. Yeah. Uh, it- Look, Jason, it is one of the most beautiful things in my life was that we actually got to serve at the same church together for those six years that I that I was doing worship ministry in a local church context. So um, after seminary, we moved to Missouri, where you mentioned where we live now in Webb City, Missouri. And uh, we uh, worked at a church called Christ Church of Orinogo. And uh, I was a worship minister there, and Maggie actually still works there. She is the community impact minister. So you could basically think of it as local missions work. So she um, works, she uh, does anti-human trafficking work, work with poverty alleviation, foster and adoption care, um, international student outreach, and then connections with our local school districts as well. So she has her uh, a lot of irons in the fire, but um, is just... A, a woman who loves to serve Jesus and serve the people of God in a multitude of ways. And I, as her husband, am so incredibly proud of her. But as a, a member of that church, I'm so thankful for the the ministry and the work that she does. And uh, how do you, you know, I mean, is, you know, from the things I listed off for you and the things we've talked about, you know, how do you find that balance in that time for you've got this these jobs in ministry in the school, you've got obviously your family with two young kids hosting a few podcasts. So what, how do you, you know, kind of divvy it up or figure out, okay, I need to devote this much time to this. I need to kind of arrange my day and, and how do I, you know, I need to have some downtime with the family. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever uh, read or watch any of the Harry Potter books? Uh, yeah, well, I actually ended up watching all of them a few years ago before my son and I, we went to Universal. So we were like, okay, we need to nice. kind of get, get all the Harry Potter stuff in. Yeah. Nice. Okay. You know, Hermione has that one, uh, that one book where she, or the one movie where she's got that time thing where she's got like extra hours and like duplicates herself. Basically, I've, I've got that. No, <laughs> no. Um, look, here's the truth, Jason. Like, it, it is family first and always. Like, if that's not in line and in balance, everything else falls apart and doesn't matter. Like, at, because at the end of the day, um, Maggie and I and our two children, we always say team, like team shaded doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing, where we live. As long as we have the four of us together and Jesus, like things are great. And so like, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you right now. I love, you know, I'm, I'm in my office at Ozark Christian College right now. 
but I absolutely cannot wait for two and a half hours from now when I can go home and hug those three people and just spend the night with them. So that is the first and most important thing in that balance that you're asking about. Um, obviously, my, my work at the college is just pretty typical work day. I you know come drop the kids off at school and come in and um, I'm here basically eight to five. Um, but because of being a professor, there is some flexibility, like in the middle of the day, I can kind of pull away from time to time and, and do something like this with you. Um, but I'm also a night owl. And so I do most of my podcasting work at night after the kids and, and Maggie go to bed. So we'll spend our evenings together and then do that. And thankfully college basketball is typically a late night sport. So I'll finish watching the day's games and, and then record podcasts after that. Now, does Maggie and the kids, do they watch college basketball with you? Are they just as much of a fan or maybe close as you? Uh, I would not say that they are like, dude, I'm all geeked out on this thing. Like it's, it's something that's just been uh, a full life endeavor for me. So, um, you know, it's something that they, they enjoy. Like you mentioned, I, I was at the, the game Monday night when North Carolina was hosting Miami, I was actually sitting just right behind Roy Williams. And so because of that, I ended up on, on screen a couple of times. And so Maggie was sending me videos of them playing. I spy daddy uh, in the background while the game was happening. But um, so, so that'll happen sometimes. And and they'll just, the kids will sit down and say, daddy, which, which team are we cheering for the, the blue team or the white team, you know, things like that. So um, that's fun. They <laughs> live, living in, in uh, Southwest Missouri, they've kind of latched onto the Chiefs because um, that's a big, you know, we're yeah. just two hours south of Kansas City. So um, that that was neat to watch. We let them stay up for the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. And so they're just kind of both coming into their uh, into their sports love. But Maggie is a native Texan. She's from Amarillo, Texas. And so high school and college football, man, it's like Saturdays are sacred to her. She's a longhorn. So hook them for Maggie there. And, uh, so a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Um, and so that, that would be, I would say her first sports love, but interestingly, let me throw yeah, well, this I, in as know. well. Um, growing up in the era of TBS, she was actually a big Chipper Jones fan and saw the Braves. So it was like kind of meant to be that, that she also enjoys the Braves. So, so I love that about her as well. Yeah, I think the Braves and the Tar Heels, and there's a bunch of brands. Uh, there's, there's you know a handful of brands in different sports that kind of uh, you know transcend location. Um, and I think those are two of those right there for sure. And you know, around I grew up in North Carolina, my first 20 years, so college of basketball was king. We didn't we didn't even know what football was. The Carolina <laughs> Panthers didn't exist. And then I moved down here to uh, Columbus, Georgia, right on the line with Alabama right, right. and obviously SEC football rules around here. And for a good reason. I mean, they've won a bunch of championships. I was an Auburn fan for many years. And then now my son attends the University of Georgia. So I've switched over to go dogs and a good time to do that. They've they've won a few <laughs> championships, just like your Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, and you, you've got a, a nice mic there in front of you. What I mean, what's it like? You know, you talked about your know, balance of different jobs. But what's it like to be able to spend, you know, an hour, a few hours out of, you know, a lot of weekdays to talk about college basketball, to talk about sports? Because like you said, you have that passion, but sure. to be able to kind of do that as part of a, a job that you get paid for, I, I imagine that's uh, very rewarding. It, it really is. And, and that's kind of what Maggie always says is like, look you're going to be talking about this anyway. You might as well have a mic and a camera in front of you while you do it because it, it it's legitimately like outside of Jesus and my family and my ministry work. Like this is the thing I would rather be doing than anything else is watching and engaging with sports. And, and for me, 
it's about, I love it for the sports itself, but I also love it because of the community aspect. Like I know that just about anyone I talk to Jason, I can find out who their sports passion is. And because I know a lot about sports and care a lot about sports, I can converse with just about anyone on their level. And so at that level, that goes beyond the sports for me, where it's like, I want to make a connection with you, whoever you are as a human being, um, in something that you love. And if I can, if I can find my way to that at your level, then maybe we can have a connection. And you and I know this is men who love Jesus, but maybe at some point that gets us to a conversation where I can introduce you to the savior of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, finding those gateways and finding common ground and not being on the corner necessarily street preaching and telling yes, somebody you're you. going to hell, <laughs> which I mean, there's, there's a place for that. Sure. And, and, and the people will do that. And sometimes that's effective for some people. Sometimes, you know, there's different kinds of worship at different churches, mega churches, churches with 20 people. So it's different, you know, as, as long as you find your way to Jesus, it doesn't matter how or where. Um, but, you know, uh, as I think our job, whether we're, you know, podcast hosts or a professor or TV news anchor, you know, one of our primary jobs is to, to provide a light to this world. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes, you know, college basketball is a way to kind of, you know, kind of a, a pathway to get there, perhaps. Um, and, you know, you're talking about your experience at the Dean Dome. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I used to go every year. I used to drive eight hours from here one way and Up then stay yeah. with a friend <laughs> Yeah, I got a free ticket from a friend who worked in the ticket office, and I'd drive back eight hours. It's a long trip, so I did that for about a dozen straight years. And then I was like, okay, can't do that anymore. So this season, I've actually been to two games. They were both in Atlanta. And unfortunately, <laughs> the Tar Heels are not very good in Atlanta. I, I saw they were both exciting games, very exciting games. The Kentucky game, I went with my son to that game. Uh, I probably should have won, maybe, but that was exciting to go with him. And then I went with my wife. Uh, to Atlanta, to Georgia Tech, a game that they should have won, but they didn't. And there was a court storming there. So uh, so maybe I should just stop going to games this season. I'm just going to watch from my, my my recliner. But what was it like for you at the Dean Dome? And by the way, I, you'll, you'll know I listened to your podcast by, I think the shady stat of the game for this one was 42. Uh, the record at the Dean Dome, R.J. Davis, uh, as Roy Williams would call him, a tough little nut. He, <laughs> uh, I mean, just shattered the record the most since uh, Charlie Scott scored, right. I think, 40-something, uh, I think, what, 54 years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, and, and absolutely unbelievable performance, Jason, from him. By the way, uh, speaking of R.J. Davis, you were at that game at uh, McCamish Pavilion. Was he fouled on that last play of the game? Absolutely. Yes. But I was kind of already walking out because I was trying to, uh, I was trying to avoid the traffic. And, uh, so I was kind of watching and I was like, yeah, yeah, but he was oh, definitely fouled. That was so disappointing. <laughs> the funny thing is they, they ran that same exact play, uh, against Miami on Monday night at the Dean Dome. So there's the connection back there, by the way, that Kentucky team, man, they've been so up and down this season. They, they could win the national championship or lose in the first round. So we'll see what happens with, uh, coach Cal's squad, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, Jason, it RJ Davis was already having an incredibly special season like even before this performance. For me, he was already barring some epic meltdown in the final 3 games of the regular season, already had wrapped up the ACC player of the year over Kyle Filipowski. 
And then he goes out and does this. Not only that, but he goes out and does it after being basically shut down against Virginia on Saturday, where Reese Beekman, who's one of the just best individual defenders in the country, uh, who Tony Bennett just seems to you know, grow those kind of guys on trees in Charlottesville, um, but had had shut down RJ, who was one of 14 from the field, had 12 points, but nine of those were uh, were at the free throw line. And then he comes out and does this. I mean, he uh, had 13 points in the first 13 and a half minutes against Miami. So you already knew he was going to um, outperform what he had done on on Saturday. But Jason, he was just locked in. Floor, uh, Miami put length on him in in the form of Matthew Cleveland. That's what teams have been trying to do to R.J. Davis lately. Um, and it's been successful in some regard, but on this night, there was just no no defender, no length or anything that was going to stop R.J. Davis from having a night and scored 21 in the first half, got to the second half, and he went through a stretch where he hit four three-pointers, and I think it was just over three minutes and it, it was just, the last of which gave him a new career high 39 and that I, I that arena every voice in it is chanting rj R, i mean it was just one of those special moments that could happen on any night that any two teams play any sporting event uh, but it just so happened that on that one particular night that R.J. Davis scored more than any player in the history of that building had ever done. And it was a special performance. The problem was, I think the rest of his teammates forgot that uh, the game didn't end at that point And Miami was still uh, trying to play a basketball game. Yeah, Carolina's had a tough time those last three or four minutes of the game. There's been about five or six examples in the last uh, month where they've they've done that. And you think, you know, with R.J., not being a big guy. And so, you know, there's, um, you know, that's one of maybe Carolina's weaknesses is we have small guards. And so sure. you have guys that maybe guards that are six, four can back them down or uh, have a height advantage. But what do you think that says about just for, for those of us who are shorter, I'm five ten. <laughs> I wanted to always be six foot growing up playing basketball. You talked <laughs> about not quite, you know, getting the, tall enough to be a pro athlete, but what do you think that says to folks about, you know, RJ was, was not even included on the first two preseason all ACC teams. So, um, do you think it says about like that for any of us a message of of resiliency, of hard work? Of it doesn't matter if if somebody you know thinks that you're going to do this, you're just going to go out there and just take it, right? That's right. Because, like, never in any endeavor in life, why would I ever let somebody else tell me no? When, when I know I can just keep putting in hard work and it might not get me to the exact thing that I'm hoping for, but with, with hard work, with discipline, um, there are a lot bigger things than you can do than you can imagine. Now, uh, again, that doesn't mean just through sheer will and, and gumption and, you know, being like Rudy that you're going to make it to the NBA or the NFL or major league baseball or whatever the case may be, but how much further could you go? with something or how much just through learning those disciplines, could you set yourself up better in life to be a better employee or a better husband or father or son or uncle, whatever it is. And so I just think there's such good lessons to be learned from somebody like RJ Davis, who is six foot, nothing has hidden, not hidden, but been in Caleb loves shadow quite literally the past several years. And then just patiently bides his time. Not, not that he's not been a factor, but it's just because of Caleb's exploits. It's just been, that's been the thing in Chapel Hill. 
And then as, as Caleb transfers out to Arizona, now both of them, like it, it would not be shocking when we get to the end of the season if Caleb is the Pac-12 player of the year and RJ is the ACC player of the year. What a what a thing that would be. Uh, Jason would love to see it. But man, yes, I, I love that you have this small backcourt in RJ Davis and Elliot Cadeau, and they're not backing down and they're not giving up and they're just sticking their nose in and doing it. And so really, really excited to see where those two can take this team. You know, last year was a disappointment for the Tar Heels, um, you know, being number one preseason, probably way too high expectations this <laughs> year. You got just a whole new team. It just sh- it shows you what Hubert Davis has done, kind of bringing chemistry with all these new faces and, and transfers. Um, guys like, you know, the guys that bring energy and leadership like Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan, just unbelievable. You probably got a lot of, out of them personality wise that maybe you didn't even think you were going to get. Um, and hustle and you know they're they're always going to bring it every night even if they're not shooting well they're going to bring it they're going to dive they're going to get those rebounds so it's it's um it's very exciting to see and, and one last thing on that the uh, the dean dome you're i'm not sure how often you get to go to chapel hill but what what was that um that whole like you sat near roy williams but what was that whole atmosphere like to be able to to be there because you talk about it you know on on the mic so much yeah, it was very special. Living, I mean, living in Southwest Missouri, and uh, I, I very rarely get to get back to Chapel Hill, but um, it was just a special day, made made all the more special because I got to do it with my my alma mater, Milligan University. Their their JV team was going to Carolina that day to play against the UNC JV team, um, and so a guy who Jason obviously you know, but uh, Coach Bill Robinson is the head coach at Milligan, and he's on the show. Uh, every every Thursday on Locked on Tar Heels. And so um, he said, hey, you know, we're going to be there. Just, you should come be part of our traveling party, experience the day. And, uh, man, it was just a special treat to go with them. He and I just haven't gotten to spend much time in person together. And so it was just good to to be able to spend some, some hours together on Monday, but to kind of cheer on my alma mater wearing one shirt during the JV game and uh, get to be in an empty Dean Dome. I mean, there's 20,175 seats or whatever it is, and maybe a hundred of them have a, a butt in the seat and the rest is just this big empty cavern. And um, Co- Coach Roy and, and Miss Wanda sauntered out and watched some of the, the first half of the JV game and um, some of the other assistants, you know, Sean Mays, the, the, the head coach of the JV and Marcus Page is with him and, um, Coach Pat Sullivan came out and took in some of that JV game. So it was just neat. And I know it was a special moment for those Milligan young men to get to do that. And Ar- Armando Baycott came out and sat on the baseline and watched the first half. And and Elliot Cadeau and Zayden High were sitting out there watching. And I just I just know it was meaningful to them to hear the the Milligan guys talking in the locker room after the game. And just it it meant something to them. And um Pete Chilcutt, who played at North Carolina, won an, an NBA championship with the Rockets along with Hakeem and, and Clyde Drexler, came in and talked to the young men pre-game. And so I know like just special things like that that they got to do. So it was fun for me to just kind of witness that. Um but then to get to just during the the varsity game, the the North Carolina against Miami game, just kind of take in the sights and sounds and and connect with some people who listen to and watch the podcast. That was fun to just get to put some names and faces together. But I mean, it was, it was a pretty surreal experience to sit, as, as you were saying, behind Coach Williams. Antoine Jamison sat directly in front of me. Mitch Kupchak is across the aisle to our right. We uh, rode an elevator with Phil Ford. I mean, it's just all, all this wild 
um, experiences. But um, just a reminder that ultimately at the end of the day, we're all just people walking through life, um, you know, living in community together. And it just so happens that that Tar Heel community is a very special family. Yeah. And, you know, with your with your uh, with your job, I mean, you're kind of well known in the podcast realm for Locked On. You have a lot of listeners. And and um, so that's something where you're kind of maybe no more for your voice um, (laughs) on the on the podcast. So for those as a professor um, at OCC, do you um, do your students know that you're a podcast host? Do they listen? Do they say, oh, Mr. Shade or Isaac or whatever they call you? I don't know. Yes. Uh, most of I d- I'm fine with them calling me Isaac. So yeah, most of them do that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think most of them know that, that I do that. I don't, I don't mind talking about it because I, I think it's a fun thing just to show that we can have multiple interests in our, our life. And it's funny because in uh, in the world of worship, there's so much technology that we use with recording things that it's funny that doing the podcast actually helps kind of give me some more wisdom and knowledge to pass on to students in terms of recording and technology and music and things like that. So that that's also been a really helpful thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there, there's some college basketball fans around and so they'll, they'll come connect with me or plop down in my office and just say like, there's a, uh, a Louisville fan and he'll come and just like, Oh man, we're so bad this year, you know, things like that. So, um, <laughs> it, it, it is really neat in that regard when there are students that are fans or somebody that'll be like, Hey, I was, I was just watching this random college basketball podcast and you're hosting it. Like, and, and they just didn't know. And, and, found out through YouTube or something. So uh, a lot of kind of funny coincidences like that. Now, are you mostly teaching, uh, you teaching how, you know, the different styles of worship and singing or, and things at chapel or what, what is your main um, kind of classes that you're kind of uh, standing before? That's a great question. So it is some of that, like there's a class I'll teach um, on, on Thursday morning of this week, as we record on a Wednesday, that's called worship band skills. Like I basically teach, we're teaching like how to lead a rehearsal, how to talk to the different, um, band members and at their instrument, instead of like, you know, I, I often compare people don't know how to talk to drummers, for example. And so it's like, when you go to the auto mechanic and you're saying like, it's making this noise and you don't know really what to say. A lot of people talk to drummers that way. So it's like teaching that kind of thing. But then also, like I, uh, I'll have another class tomorrow called Theology of Worship, where we just look at what the Bible says about worship, both the Old and New Testament, and then how that informs what we do today. So both kind of the the theological background of it, the practical sides of it, um, and and then a lot of the pastoral sides of it as well. And then my my master's degree is actually in New Testament, so I teach. Uh, a New Testament class here at the school as well, Timothy and Titus, basically the pastoral epistles. And so that that's a fun thing to get to do as well. I'm looking forward to getting to the New Testament. I'm reading through the Bible chronologically with the with another podcast called Bible Recap. It's like a little yes. eight-minute yeah, thing that, that comes yep. out every day. Yep. And I'm I'm in Leviticus, so I I am uh, I'm I'm through the uh the, the real exciting books of the Bible right now. So I'm looking forward to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, maybe who knows? Uh, I'll hit there in the uh, late summer or fall. I was gonna perhaps. say that the, um, you're looking forward to the fall more than anything. <laughs> that's right. And you know, I mentioned earlier that you were born in England. You don't have an English accent. Maybe no. you used to. Uh, I know, but so what was that like? Um, I don't know how long you lived there, but like you know, were I guess your parents that were missionaries that was a big faith influence for you, what you're doing now. Very much so. So my, my parents um, moved to England after college and they were there for a total of seven years. 
um, moved to a small town. You, you mentioned it earlier called Selston. I'd probably really more call it a village, honestly, uh, which is in Nottinghamshire, like where Robin Hood is from. So that that's a big thing in that in that area. There's actually a Robin Hood statue that people always steal the the arrow from. That's kind of a thing that they do. So. Um, but yeah, I, I was born there and was there the first four years of my life. We moved back to the States in, uh, February of 1988. And so I was so young that, you know, you mentioned my accent. My parents tell me that just a couple months after we moved back, I already sounded like an American. So, um, I've tried to, to, uh, practice a lot of non-regional diction so that I don't sound too much like a, a hick. But I'm like, man, if I could, I could have been so much cooler if I had a, a British accent being an American, but not meant to be, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> Isaac, before we leave, you know, I, I want to, um, you know, kind of bring us back to, to college basketball and uh, which, you know, you love to talk about. I love to talk about. And, and um, so, you know, we've got about we've got three games left in the regular season for most teams, really. And then right. you've got your conference tournaments. And, and uh, I think uh, essentially about. Uh, three weeks from now, or, or maybe less than that, you're going to have the March Madness Selection Sunday, and mm-hmm. you're going to find out who are those, I think it's 68 teams now that make it into the big dance. And uh, well, thank goodness UNC is going to be one of those. We, <laughs> last year, we, we, we were like, you know, sweating it out and didn't get in. Um, but this year, I mean, who, it could be a, a, anywhere from a one to a three seed, hopefully two or one. And I'm sure they'll put us with Arizona. I'm, I'm sure that'll happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you can almost guarantee it. So uh, any kind of, uh, I, I know it's, it's early on, but any kind of predictions or anything, you know, that you're really hoping for in these next uh, two or three weeks? Specifically with Carolina or just college basketball in general? Uh, both. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with the Carolina side of things. W- winning that game against Miami on Monday, locked up. No worse than the two seed in the ACC tournament for the Tar Heels. Uh, As you said, they've got three games left, and uh, Duke still has four games left as we record this. And so um, the nice thing is that North Carolina has the inside track to that one seed. If they win uh, this coming Saturday against NC State and next Tuesday against Notre Dame, they will be guaranteed a share of the regular season championship. And then depending on what Duke does, we'll, we'll determine if that final regular season game at, in Durham at at, um, <clears throat> at Cameron uh, has any bearing on the one versus two seed in the ACC. So we'll keep our eyes out for that. Um, and then as for the Tar Heels beyond that, I'm I'm very superstitious. Jason, and so I always say that I don't want them to win the ACC tournament. Each of their last, uh, the three championships under Roy Williams, they lost in the ACC semifinals. So that's my hope, is that the Tar Heels win the ACC regular season, lose in the ACC semifinals, and that means that they're guaranteed to win a national championship at that point. Uh, No, obviously I jest, but um, I I do think there's something to uh, teams and players being worn down from, from those tournaments of playing so many games in a row there. Um, I'm looking forward to tournament week. I'm actually uh, going to be going to up the road to the Big 12 tournament to, to cover that. So that'll be fun up in Kansas City. Um, but then as for college basketball as a whole, for folks that haven't been following it, basically we've got three teams at the top that have completely separated themselves. And that's UConn, Purdue, and Houston. They right. are almost guaranteed a one seed at this point. Like they could each take two more losses between now and Selection Sunday and still hold on to one seed. So um, that's all basically locked in. The big conversation there is who's going to be number one overall and and on down. 
And then the question after that is who's going to be the fourth one seed right now? Carolina looks like they're in a good spot to get that. Uh, but some other teams that could fill that role as well. Arizona looks good. Tennessee is in a good spot, although their their final four games of the regular season are very difficult to navigate. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Iowa State has actually put themselves in position to maybe hold that. Uh, Marquette is another possible team. And honestly, maybe even Duke, if they could kind of run run the gamut down the stretch. Obviously, you and I hope that will not happen, but uh, we won't say that too loud for people. Um, so that's kind of where I'll, we're I'll at. I'll say, I'll say it loud. I'll say it real loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I'm excited about, you know, going back to what you mentioned earlier about just all this parody and all the top 10 teams losing on the road at unranked opponents. I really think that this March Madness is going to be absolutely bonkers. But here's what people always want to see, Jason. You know, I mentioned people love the upsets. People want upsets in the first two rounds, but then people want to see the best teams as we get to the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight and on. And so we're, we're looking for all the madness in the first weekend and then for things to kind of correct themselves down the stretch and so that we can see some really electric and elite basketball in those last two weekends. And you were talking about, you know, the regular season versus winning your conference tournament. And, um, you know, if, if um, I think I'm right in saying this, that if you win the regular season championship for the ACC, even a share, you get a banner put up in uh, the rafters at the Dean, the, the Dean Dome, which is what Hubert Davis said. You know, that's one of their goals for like guys like RJ and for Armando Baycott, who have been there for four or five years and don't have um, you know, a jersey in the Raptors, which is crazy for Baycott because he's gotten all these double double rebound records. But <laughs> you know, um, and then you know, of course, RJ, you know, probably the ACC Player of the Year in contention for National Player of the Year. So I think that's exciting for them and um, and for Hubert Davis in his third year. I think you know he's a great Christian guy, family man yes, yes. who who doesn't doesn't curse. And uh, but man, I love to see his excitement on the court. He doesn't get quite down to the defensive stance like Roy used to, but uh, but but he uh, <laughs> exactly. But but I think Hubert does. I mean, he's he's kind of this. You think he's this uh, mild mannered, soft spoken guy, but boy, he is um, as competitive as they get. And I'm sure you. It was exciting to see that in person. It, it very much was, and and honestly, like I'll I'll compare it. The so Web City High School football team where where I live here. Uh, is like a Missouri powerhouse. They run the triple option, like kind of like uh, Georgia Tech did under Paul Johnson. Their defensive coordinator, I, I get to it to talk about him, is kind of the same way as Coach Hubert Davis, where he's a very strong Christian man, won't won't use cuss words, but he can rip you up and down almost worse because he doesn't cuss, but he just knows how to get to you. And I think Coach Davis is the same way, where it's like it's almost worse. When, when Coach Davis gets into you because he's doing it with all this other verbiage that maybe other coaches don't know because all they rely on is their cuss words. And so uh, it's almost worse to get told off by Coach Davis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, uh, Isaac Shea, for your time. I know you're kind of juggling uh, the, the classes and the podcasts and the family and ministry. So uh, um, thank you so much for what, what you do and uh, entertaining folks on the podcast, but also you know, for the kingdom of God. So uh, I look forward to hearing you uh, more and more on uh, Locked On. Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, man, go eat some peaches for me. I, I miss being home. I, I need some, uh, some down-home Georgia love. 
Yeah, it's nice down here, but but I mean, it, it's hot too. So for this time of year, it's, I think it's going to get to uh, 80 degrees today here in Georgia. Uh, all right. Well, I'll leave that part of it out. I don't want to sweat. So uh, just send me the peaches <laughs> and you keep the, the humidity. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Isaac. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it so much, brother. God bless. It was great to talk to Isaac. I get to listen to him a lot on his uh, essentially 30-minute podcast every day on Locked On Tar Heels. And also he does uh, host the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. So check him out on those. He does a great job, a lot of great analysis from uh, from UNC and all across the country. And, uh, you know, what he does is kind of what I dreamed of doing when I was younger, ever since I was about 14 or 15 years old. I wanted to be a sports caster. He talked about escaping a little bit, taking a break from, uh, the worship music, that kind of thing, and doing that through writing. And for me, writing was always something I loved to do as, as a young man, and I wanted to talk about sports. I wanted to be like Bob Costas, telling those behind-the-scenes stories about the Olympics, about athletes, what's kind of what's at the root of what they do and, and uh, uh, just their, their, their history, what's made them so excellent. Um, and so I wanted to do that, and, and I'm, I'm still getting to be a storyteller now, 30, 40 years later, and so I'm excited about that more on the news side. But I still get to do sports every now and then and get to talk to folks about basketball like Isaac. And uh, very cool that he uh, he tweeted a video uh, recently from his time in Chapel Hill. Uh, he talked about Coach Roy Williams, the former uh, legendary coach of Kansas and North Carolina. He was uh, standing up and clapping for crumble cookies there at the Dean Dome. Uh, it's because uh, the, uh, you know, if the opposing team misses two free throws in a row, that's your reward. You get some free crumble cookies, which uh, nobody can turn down cookies, right? So uh, Coach Roy, very excited about those cookies. And, uh, you know, one of my, um, I have some great basketball memories myself that uh, I I may have mentioned uh, previously on a podcast episode in the last few years on here on Run the Race. But uh, I remember, you know, going to the Dean Smith Carolina basketball camp, you know, summer after summer and getting to meet the the icon, Dean, uh, one of the best coaches of all time. And then also I got to meet guys, uh, you know, alumni like Brad Doherty and uh, Buzz Peterson and Michael Jordan at Buzz Peterson's uh, basketball camp. And one time we were like little nine to 10 year old kids gathered around the the free throw line in, in a kind of a circular fashion, sitting down. Michael Jordan comes in, and this is uh, probably about, uh, I guess, uh, in the 1980s or 90s when he was at the height uh, of, of his kind of beginning of his NBA career. He came in and he says, talked about concentration, and he closed his eyes and he sank like five or 10 free throws in a row. And we were just like, wow, Michael Jordan just showed us how he doesn't, you don't even need to be able to see to be able to sink those free throws. It, it was, it was pretty amazing. And um, Isaac uh, told me off mic one of his uh, all time favorite sports moments involved. Involved, uh, our beloved Atlanta Braves back in 1992, the NLCS, the National League Championship Series, to make it to the World Series. Of course, Sid Bream sliding in on Game 7. So uh, it's definitely a great memory. I'm glad they've won a World Series uh, more, more recently that we've gotten to celebrate as well. So, And I appreciate Isaac being uh, you know open about not just... Um, you know, fitness stuff, sports, basketball, um, but also about faith and about, you know, how using these platforms we have through podcasts, through uh, classes at school, through TV news, uh, getting to shine our light for God and uh, giving him all the glory. So really appreciate that. 
And uh, as I do on uh, all the podcast episodes, going to close now in prayer. Dear God, just uh, this help us to use uh, wherever we are in life, uh, our platform, the people that we reach, our friends, our family, our, our fans, whatever it is, that we can uh, talk about you and get the opportunity to witness and to show how amazing you are, Jesus. And uh, we just thank you for um, sports and be able to gather around and and uh, have community amidst that, uh, whatever that looks like for you. And Lord God, uh, just keep everybody safe as we go into a new month of March. Uh, we just thank you for your many blessings you pour upon us every single day. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again so much for listening to Run the Race. We know there's a lot of different podcasts out there like Locked On, and, and so I appreciate you uh, enjoying some hopefully inspiring, motivating stories about fitness and faith on here. We're on Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts as well, where if you go to the very bottom there of uh, the Run the Race, all the shows there, and uh, just pan down a little bit, you'll get the opportunity to write a quick review. Give us five stars if you think it's worth it and write a few sentences. Tell me what you think, what you like or don't like. We are, uh, we're not afraid of honesty on here on Run the Race. So we appreciate you listening to today's episode and uh, hopefully you have a great start to the month of March. God bless.